Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Abigail Martin. Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Robbie Martin. Uh, so I know that we've been talking a lot about 9-11 lately, and I, before, uh, before we get into other subjects, I just wanted to bring up this crazy new footage, never be seen, never before seen footage of the day of 9-11. It's just like raw footage of some guy. You never actually see who the guy is, but he's just like ambiently walking around Manhattan as it's happening and then afterward and just kind of picking up on like people's immediate reactions and coming across like a group of people playing basketball and they're talking about like why the f- you know this is why we're getting attacked because we can't stay the fuck out of the middle east like saying like yep that's what happens like other people uh, who are just like really perplexed at the fact that the buildings are completely gone someone's like painting on an easel like what's happening in the towers like it's just very, it's bone chilling because it's just so disturbing to see, uh, you know, real time what was going on on that day. Uh, there's also like all these emergency responders around building seven <clears throat> right before it fell. And the guy who's filming is just like, so another building's coming down now. And he's like, yep. And he's like, wait, that's a Giuliani's emergency bunker. He's like, wow, they're really fucking us up. Like, just like. <laughs> wow, they're really fucking sad. They're blowing up that too. Like it was just like so crazy. I mean, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I need to see this footage. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, but when you were describing it to me earlier, it sounded like, and I saw it when you were describing that footage to me, it reminded me of the fact that it is not a conspiracy theory. It is not some sort of um, hindsight is twenty twenty type thing to to actually when you go back and watch that video footage and other video footage from that day it's was very normal uh for people to react by saying that the buildings had been exploded and were actually really shocked that the the buildings collapsed completely like it was a really shocking thing and people were wondering how it happened like everywhere so it's not like a conspiracy theory to like say that that's an accurate reaction to have. Like that's <laughs> right. Well, of course. I mean, it, yeah. it is just really bone chilling to see this raw unfolding of events on that day. And I was happy to see Policy Mike of all places pick it up and and spread it around. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot going on right now in the world. Uh, I just had on a guest today to talk about Obama's like manipulative rhetoric and kind of. Because I've just been thinking lately how interesting it is that a lot of people that I know trust Obama for no reason and like him and respect him simply because he sounds intelligent and articulate. And so I just am really fascinated with that whole kind of switch over from a man who sounded more dumbed down and like simplistic to someone who sounds more sophisticated. And just that fact alone gains and galvanizes the trust of millions of people. Um, and really, both of them are a complete act. Yes, um, they are. They're just different forms of uh, of a similar thing. I mean, then, like, I just saw Power of Nightmares again, and we, I mean, we mentioned this movie so many times on the show. But I recommend everybody go back, go and watch that movie. Um, it's on archive.org. A full quality version of it is, and it basically goes through the history of neoconservatism and how their rhetoric throughout the years and the decades has been to form these like grand myth mythic um sort of paradigms versus like good versus evil um we need to go kill the terrorists before they kill us like that's all very neoconservative like even the stuff now i mean i won't even go into the stuff about obama being a communist but even that is kind of like takes on a neoconservative mythic angle but 
I think why people trust Obama more is because it's he's not presenting these myths as obviously. Like the myths of whatever his ilk of ideology is are more wrapped in this sort of international quasi-international diplomacy and like thoughtfulness like he's thinking of all the possible options to like make things work and he's not um you know in this as like a good versus evil kind of battle because i think people think that that's a more intelligent evolved way to be but it's still it's still mythic on a certain level it's just not as like the rhetoric is just not as simplistic and cartoonish Right. That's really the only difference that I can see. Yeah, it reminds right? me of it reminds me of Fox News too, because like Bill O'Reilly has his all his talking points, and it's almost like that Bushism where it's just so dumbed down. It's like the propaganda. It's like yeah, you know, it's like for the sixty-five and over, seventy and yeah, over. Yeah, it's like crowd. You're, it's like you can listen to him, and you can also see it pointed out in bullet points next to his head in case you're you know your visual learner. So uh-huh, uh-huh. it's just really funny. Uh, but yeah, Bush was the only person in his family to have like that accent. It's like totally manufactured, but when you look at both him and Obama, I mean, Bush actually had much more experience legislating in an office, and Obama just has had no experience at all. Rose to the top based on just empty rhetoric alone. Just really curious uh, to still to this day to hear people kind of just trust a stranger um, who they don't know at all based on really just baseless propaganda. So that always never ceases to amaze me. Um, something else that's just really hilarious is all the GOP trying to cut food stamps and like separate it from this agricultural bill in the house right now. And I was doing this research today and I found out that a lot of the same people who are pushing to cut the food stamp program have received like millions of dollars, millions in farm subsidies. So they're private farms by the government in the last like decade. It's just, it's just so <laughs> ridiculous to see like them, you know, they really, really hate that $100 a month going to the most impoverished people in the country. But yeah, keep raking in millions of dollars in the nanny state you claim to hate for your well, fucking farm. Well, remember when, when um, like, uh, I was just actually listening, re-listening to an old podcast we did right after you got hired at Russia Today. And I remember like back then they were still sort of having a lot of like Ron Paul libertarian people on all the time on their network, the American one. And they, they were sort of like, it was sort of like playing into that angle of like, uh, like, um, welfare, like Mm anti-welfare, like free market capitalism. And I just, I just find that interesting because obviously someone is trying to like push that is being paid to push that agenda out there all over the, you know, America. For some, oh, yeah. like somehow, well, and, like, the, this a is lot ex- of it's the Koch brothers. They're super yeah. anti all that shit, and they have millions of dollars just funneling in. And they co-opted libertarianism to do that, which is which is a pretty genius it's really move sad. on their part. Yeah, yeah someone, this is bad. Someone re- someone reached out to me the other day, and they're just like, you know, you're really disappointing me. I thought that RT was libertarian, and you know, you seem to be catering toward like socialism and stuff. And I was just like, look, first of all, to call an entire network an ideology is absurd. But I said RT is about, you know, supplying alternatives. I was like, that includes libertarianism, that includes socialism. And, you know, once again, these labels are kind of trapping us from actually just discussing issues. But, you know, I think that it's really important to point out that the reason that I talk about social services all the time is because I find it extraordinarily bizarre that this country is so focused on Basically, it's a drop in the bucket. I mean, food stamps, really food stamps and like meals on wheels and all the things that are being cut and and fly out the door very first to be cut 
and all the sequesters and government, you know, pending government shutdowns and talks about the deficit. Yet the elephant in the room is the 50% of tax dollars that go toward military spending. And I just would rather, I mean, yes, like there is a very small level of abuse, of course, in all government programs. And like, I'm not for giant government. Obviously, we've seen how detrimental that is in terms of just the growth and unabated growth of like the surveillance state and DHS and TSA. Like that's, that's not okay. And of course we see the pr- proliferation of like the militarization of, of local police forces because there's just this excess of, of budget funneling into these people. But I just can't help but point out like, why are we talking about these things that are so meaningless in the grand scheme of things and ignoring 50% of the entire federal budget just being spent on not only current wars, but past wars, um, this is something that I just found out is that, uh, you know, we're still paying for the Civil War, shockingly enough, benefits to the families of the Civil War. That's how far back these debt bubbles go of all these new wars of aggression that are launched with our money. I mean, it's not just veterans payouts. It's just like paying on the debt, the interest of the debt on all these wars that are started. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really, really, it's really crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I talked to this guy who's like from the National War Resisters. He like does not pay taxes and he writes like a little letter to the government every year telling them why he doesn't. And I was just like, you know, it's a really extreme thing to do. And I feel like a lot of people are scared to do that. But it's interesting to know that he's like never gotten in trouble for doing that. And he's been doing it for a long time. He says he's like, it's like $80,000 worth of taxes that he just hasn't paid. <laughs> wonder how he gets away with it yeah i mean shit is just i mean if you follow the news every day it just seems like it just there's no end to all the corrupt shit that we hear about <laughs> it's really uh i don't know how you do it i have to take a break sometimes yeah. i mean you, ha- you have to do it kind of but <laughs> yeah you do have to take a break sometimes because it's really overwhelming that's why i I really like the weekends that I have, even though I spend them doing media root stuff. But, you know, there's this one story of um, of a, a family who was called to the U.S. to testify about drones and like they were going to come here. Alan Grayson, Representative Alan Grayson, he's really awesome. He was trying to get them to talk about drone wars and stuff on the Hill. And unfortunately, their lawyer has been denied entry to the U.S. So they can't come <laughs> because... They have no representation to tell their story because they were denied. Uh, Another really bizarre turn of events that really epitomizes the two-tier justice system is this judge, Gerald Lee, district court judge that not only threw out the case of the poor Iraqis who were tortured at Abu Ghraib. Like, that's bad enough that these poor Iraqis who were tortured, humiliated, you know, years after their imprisonment unlawfully, they try to sue this contractor that was in part responsible for their torture called CACI International. And, you know, they tried to sue them. The district court judge said that their case had no standing because they because it didn't happen in the U.S. They said because this happened on foreign soil, like we don't have any standing for your case. We can't hear it. Yet CACI countersued these four people and fucking won. They countersued them for all the legal fees that they were forced to pay out, you know, this billion dollar industry was forced to pay out $14,000 in legal fees. And so the judge ruled in their favor. I mean, but it's just so bizarre to use the same, that, that logic to say the case has no standing and that's why these people can't have their day in court, yet at the same time use that to award punishment. CACI? 
it's a punishment. It's like this judge is obviously either a fucking total, totally just bows down to the federal government's doctrine, or he's actually like, like you know, part of that that ilk of of judges who like just do the government's bidding. Like they actually have like sort of agreed in the back door to just like do whatever the fuck will prop up the military industrial complex and actually marginalize and, and not and continue to not give these people like civil justice. Yeah. I think it's, feel like it's almost up. like a warning to everyone. Yeah, no, it's like, a punishment. Yeah. I completely agree. I mean, it's, I mean the federal judges that have tried to over, to have tried basically to change the, you know, not act, you know, the so-called activist judges, but the judges who have tried to do the right thing and actually like, you know, tried to subpoena records from the government about things like um ndaa and things like that the government will just always deflect it and say it's national security anyways so if these people actually won because of that then it would basically expose the government they would have to like they'd probably be able to subpoena records and stuff eventually right because these people are working on behalf of the government doing essentially criminal illegal activity right yeah exactly it's like (laughs) it's like the the government's mercenaries and you're right if they were to if they were to legislate in favor of these plaintiffs, then that would have opened a can of worms. I mean, it's almost the same logic of Obama not literally being able to prosecute the Bush administration because it would implicate him and so many people still in, in office. Um, and it would just open this huge floodgate of all the crimes, um, not only just like facilitated, but covered up and, and also just continued by, by Obama. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's the key reason why I think a lot of these trials end up the way they do. They either get thrown out of court or they're just shut down or they don't get to the subpoena the records or people that they need to is because it'll, it will undermine the U.S. government's power. I mean, the whole point is that the U.S. government can just assert its power and be like, fuck you. We're not giving up shit. This is national security. This is bullshit. And they can just say no. I mean, that's it, and it's really unfortunate. But that's it. Just sort of, you know, reinforces that idea that we don't actually have a functioning, fair justice and equal justice system. Yeah, it's justice for some. Like yeah. says. Um, well, it's like the following orders is is a um, is an excuse. You know, if you're order if you're a private company and you're ordered by the government and you're told it's okay, if the government tells you it's okay to torture people then essentially it's like the Nuremberg, you know... Principle, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's just, it's really strange. Yeah, I mean, Rumsfeld, just to remind people, Rumsfeld himself, like, went into the Bush torture memo and was just, like, circling things, saying, like, I'm standing on my feet all day, that's not torture. Like, da-da-da-da-da, you know, basically just giving full, <laughs> granting full whatever the hell they wanted to do to take it even farther than already was authorized. I mean, Yeah, I mean, that's... And that's yeah. And that's all that we know of that he wrote down on paper. I mean, right. <laughs> they essentially hired a team of lawyers to actually like write in full detail the like what is le- like what are the the boundaries that they can do and you know they describe in detail putting insects in a in a very small box with a detainee and and pure you know pitch black darkness for psychological torture um you know they don't. I don't think they go into any of the sexual stuff in these memos, but I'm sure somewhere that was written down too. We just yeah. haven't seen it. Yeah, and just to remind people, like they were dragging people's genitals across a wet concrete floor, forcing them to commit homosexual acts with each other, sicking dogs on them when they had a fear of dogs. I mean, just very and, and smearing men- menstrual blood and feces on their faces. I mean, 
then the know. guy who blew open the Abu Ghraib story after the pictures leak, I think his name is Antonio Tabuga, the the colonel over there. Mm-hmm. He he says that he, I mean, there was like, you know, he he doesn't even know how many times it happened because it was happening regularly that they were that they were actually sodomizing prisoners with things like mag flashlights and stuff. I can't just shoving objects would be in that their fucking sadistic. ass. Sadistic. Like, it's almost like that frat mentality of you just, like, of hazing. It's, like, but mm-hmm. to the extreme. It's, like, mm-hmm. how? I mean, I just don't, I, I don't accept that whole rhetoric, like, war is hell and this is what happens in war. No, this is sadistic as fuck. Like, I can't even fathom being indoctrinated or conditioned into thinking that that would ever be fucking okay to do to another human being. It's, like, completely insane. Yeah. I mean, it just reminds me of the Stanford prison experiment. I mean, you're putting all these people teenagers basically into a situation where they're being told to act like prison guards on like dangerous terror al-qaeda terrorists so what the fuck do you think is going to happen <laughs> i mean it's just like even on that level that situation is going to amount to like you know the stanford prison experiment on a massive scale with in a real war zone i mean that's what's going to happen speaking of war criminals uh general petraeus is now teaching at um, C-U-N-Y in New York and just teaching there, teaching public policy, you know, retires from his, from his cushy position in the military, forced to retire from some stupid fucking, like, affair, not because of his actual overseeing of the use of white phosphorus or, you know, private mercenaries, um, but yeah, just because he had an affair, so he's getting embarrassed, he has to resign, because that's what our country cares about. And so he's just teaching public policy, just like John Yu at Berkeley and Condoleezza Rice at Stanford. And it's just so nice that these war criminals have a place in academia, just, you know, talking about how to how to cooperate with the planet and implement good policy. Does that make you happy? (laughs) Yeah. um, But, you know, I wanted to point out something about this this kind of mindset, the sadistic mindset that we see, you know, not only in the military, but also in the police forces in this country. And and I think that I just found out something that's very revealing that um, explains a lot about this. And it was from Ray Lewis. He was the he was the police chief of Philadelphia, um, also known as the, quote, Occupy Cop. He was one of the only policemen in the country to wear full uniform and stand on behalf of the protesters protesting um, in Occupy Wall Street in New York. Was he an actual active like police no, officer? No, he was a that? retired. He was a retired captain. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so so he got arrested. He was you know he was protesting, and then they they threatened to take away his pension, his benefits, remove him from all this stuff, and it was just this huge scandal. Anyway, I talked to him on the anniversary of Occupy Wall Street, and I was just asking him why is it that you know, we've seen such harsh crackdowns with all these police officers, like on largely peaceful protests. I mean, it is just very strange. I know that it was federalized. I know that it was coordinated, but still like just the aggressiveness inherent in police, like, and just the disdain for the people that they're supposed to be protecting and stuff. And he just said, well, there's a good reason for that. He said, there's actually a personality test that cops get and take that looks specifically for how aggressive and insensitive you are. He said there's two personality traits that they actually look for and hire you on. <laughs> like, and it all, and it makes sense in a broader scheme of things, like the way that they're justifying it, I guess, because they're saying, you, you know, you can't be a pussy. You can't be like easily slighted by like, you know, guns and blood or whatever. Like I can see that part of it, but, but I mean, think about what that's breeding, like what they're bringing to the force by breeding 
and, and, and picking out people who are like total sociopaths. I mean, they're basically picking sociopathic tendencies to join the police force. How scary is that? It, it, it's scary. And it's just really sad that, um, you know, when the media eventually like seizes on something like Occupy Wall Street or Occupy Oakland, they show a lot of the, like the vandalism. And then like when the protests sort of get out of hand and be, and get to the point where they are sort of like, it is like a crowd control situation, but nobody remembers or nobody focuses in on the fact that many times initially, like after um, Frank Ogawa Plaza was sort of like taken over, um, there would just be marches and the cops would just like start tear gassing like women with like pushing like baby carriages and stuff. Like there was absolutely nothing. If you consider like blocking a street for like 45 seconds, a (laughs) non-peaceful protest, then, but that's, I mean, that's what they were doing. There was no like, there was nothing um, violent or, or, or threatening about it. That's what it's just so odd right? that they just do that. And I don't even think it's, just the sociopathic tendencies i think that they're also like told that they can do this like they basically can use their own discretion to like you know if they feel threatened in any way and whatever that means to those kind of cops i mean it could mean anything you know it's almost like the stand your ground law if you feel threatened by Mm -hmm. a black man walking towards you um in the dark of night then you have the right to shoot him like these cops have the right to respond to whatever they see as a threat which is fucking and they're already Anything. just given so much of an advantage just for the sheer fact of being police officers. I mean, look at like Oscar Grant's death and that guy served, what, six months in jail and now he's back on the force. I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable, the two-tier justice system even among police in this country. Um, but I wanted to move on to this Al-Shabaab mall shooting in Kenya because I think it's just really interesting how many representatives we already see beating the islamophobic machine and talking about how they're going to be attacking the u.s next we have representative peter king the king of islamophobia who's also called for you know racial profiling of muslim americans before but in the wake of this mass shooting which i'm sorry but we have our own mass shootings to deal with here like we're already dealing with just random massacres at the hands of gun here in the u.s so i mean is it really like, is this really a primary concern to be concerned about this rogue terrorist group in Somalia, where on top of that, the U.S. has been inter- intervening there for a long, long time? Um, I don't even really know the history of U.S. intervention in the country, but I know it's quite extensive. Drone strikes being carried got, out there. He's getting paid by someone or to be concerned about some specific group in Somalia for some sort of bullshit, strategic, mutually beneficial gain. I mean, that's bottom line but it also just reminded me of like what you were saying about how we're just being traumatized over and over again about al-qaeda because because in this speech that he gives about al-shabaab he says the 9-11 commission said that 9-11 was a failure of imagination and he's like so let's not like fall into that same mental trap of failing to imagine al-shabaab coming here and committing a terrorist attack it's like what dude failure of imagination (laughs) well it's so interesting i mean even if you're not a 9-11 truth or a conspiracy theorist when you actually boil down who is responsible for 9-11 and, you know, if you, if you want to take a part, you know, go back behind the 9-11 or the 19 hijackers and figure out who was behind the plot, they say Khalid Sheikh Muhammad was the mastermind behind 9-11. But in reality, he was the mastermind of like a sort of a thing that took on a mythic urban legend like level in sort of that Islamic fundamentalist militant world where they would like 
it was sort of like a fantasy of theirs to be able to pull off a terrorist attack like the Bojinka plot, which is where 9-11 comes from, of hijacking multiple airliners at once and then causing them to all explode in midair was the original plot. But I mean, there is nothing to connect that, that to the, like, to Al-Qaeda. There's the idea that this was some sort of, like, plan hatched by Khalid Sheikh Muhammad, and then he sent these people out to do it, has never been proven or shown to be true by anyone. But Robbie, it's almost just, like, assumed. says it's true. No, but they, they don't, actually. <laughs> they don't. Like, I mean, they, I mean, they don't, I mean, all the stuff where they might make connections is based from torture, so they actually don't Nothing they say is is even backed up by just like loose evidence. Right. Like, you know, it's just really interesting to think that that this. That, yeah, I mean, I, we talked a lot about how Al Qaeda is a myth on the last episode, but it's even more of a myth than I think even like we even realize. <laughs> like, it's I don't know. It's just really interesting. Well, as we've mentioned before, Al Qaeda has been just applied as a blanket term to anyone. Yeah, Anyone and that's what the Bush the administration military. wanted to do. If you watch Bush's speech from the, uh, I think it was the day after 9-11, he's already trying to make it sound like it's not just Al-Qaeda, it's it's like the mentality that is behind Al-Qaeda, is in like 60 countries all across the world. They were already trying to disassociate it from Bin Laden at the very beginning. I mean, they never gave a fuck about Bin Laden, mm-hmm. obviously. They would have caught him if they did. They never did. This is all about going after Islamic terrorism to reassert the idea of good versus evil and restart the Cold War yeah. mentality. Perpetuate that clash of civilizations yeah. that we need to just like take over this this area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, exactly. I, I was interviewing this other activist, Ken O'Keefe, who not only was on the Gaza flotilla that got sieged and like disarmed Israeli soldiers on board, but he also like went to Iraq and tried to be like a human shield to protect the Iraqis. He's like really awesome, former Marine. But he was just saying something really interesting. I asked him, do countries like North Korea, Syria, Iran have the right to arm themselves with nuclear and chemical weapons against threatening hegemonic forces? And he just said, well, you know, even though I'm completely against weapons of mass destruction, of course, it's like a complete testament to how insane humanity is. He said, at the same time, if we've learned anything from Iraq, it's that you need a bomb and you need it quickly. Like if you want to have any sort of power in the world system right now like that's why we haven't picked a fight with north korea because they have nuclear weapons and and like i think that this whole disarmament thing is just really a facade at diplomacy and trying like this peaceful diplomatic solution when really it is a first step to eventually overtaking um that world region and it, it is really disturbing russia came out and said that they felt like they're being blackmailed to sign this agreement because in the agreement it says that literally anything Syria does could be construed as like you're not you know you're not going toward the standard that we want course, and therefore yeah. you know it can be null and void. It's like fishing with a giant net. I mean, they're just <laughs> casting the widest net possible to get anything because they obviously don't care about the diplomacy. They just want to go into uh, Syria. When Bush was talking about Saddam and saying that Saddam is using diplomacy as a tool and a ruse to to like prolong the process so that he could like attack us or whatever we're basically <laughs> talking about ourselves like we're using diplomacy as a ruse to figure out how we can attack him i mean it's basically just maybe giving us more time to strategize our eventual attack i mean that's all it does it's just really odd that and it, it, it's interesting that people only think of intervention as like on the ground boots and stuff because if you just think of sanctions alone and this is something i never really thought about until i just 
thought about it, <laughs> which is, you know, I talked to the, the former U.S. Attorney General Ramsey Clark, who actually represented Saddam Hussein as his legal counsel, um, which was really fascinating because he said, you know, he, he would do it again in a heartbeat, even though he got called, you know, a supporter for genocidal dictators and, uh, uh, you know, just totally... He's represented a lot of uh, controversial people. I forgot who else, but he's definitely controversial figure yeah which Ramsey is Clark. just so amazing to hear you know he served under johnson and was the attorney general and and, and was instrumental in passing the civil rights act and voting rights act and here he is just saying you know, how far this country is strayed and it's interesting to hear people like him and jimmy carter coming out and saying we don't live in a democracy we're very far from any semblance of a democracy and uh ramsey clark was just e explaining what the sanctions did even before the 1993 gulf war because iraq used to be the most prosperous country in the middle east it was thriving um it was a so booming new like yeah it was a secular economy, economy. Mm -hmm. you know i mean compared to other arab countries it was one of the only secular countries that had like a, a not a huge disparity between the rich and the poor compared to other countries like kuwait and um and uh qatar and saudi arabia you know which were mostly like ro royalty class mm -hmm. ruled countries but yeah it was definitely what you're yeah. describing and then and then when we instilled um these really harsh sanctions in 1993 and then you know did a bombing campaign after that but i was just asking him well you know do sanctions have they ever worked because really we hear about sanctions as this punishment for the regime and you know it's it's all this pressure on the regime to do what we say and all this stuff but really the regimes are doing fine the regimes are full of wealthy people who can get all the resources that they need. Really, what sanctions do is hurt the poorest of the fucking poor. Yeah, it's obvious, it's, but it's just It's true. designed to create instability. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, at this point in time, the CIA's MO and the U.S. government's MO, if they can't militarily invade, instability is the, is the primary course. Because then if things become un unstable, then, I mean, unstable, then they can... You know, right? The more disrupt the government. The government, is, yeah, the, government the, more... the government is torn between having to respond to the U.S. and then also having to respond to their own unrest in their own country. It just makes it more difficult to wage like a battle against someone. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But it just so shows you the glaring hypocrisy of just like humanitarianism. Because I just keep hearing Obama repeat this mantra about American exceptionalism, and he even just repeated it again today. I don't know what the fuck speechwriters he has working for him, but like this is the kind of rhetoric that is just really, really fucking dangerous. Not he only he talked about American exceptionalism after Putin wrote that op-ed. Yeah, dude. What a psycho. Yeah, dude. He talked about it to the UNGA, to world leaders. I mean, this is the craziest thing. He's at the UN General Assembly, full of all these UN leaders saying America is exceptional. Fucking dickhead. He Holy said, "You shit. might." He said, yeah, "I know a lot of people might disagree with me." But I think America's exceptional. It's like, really, dude? Because you're fucking arrogant as hell. You're talking to the world and you're saying this? Like, what in the hell is wrong with you? Is that the same UN conference that the Brazilian president came on and just, like, excoriated the U.S. for spying on that, her? Yeah, let's talk about Latin America standing up to the, to the U.S. government because this is some really crazy shit going on. Like, I think, you know, people might have missed this story, but during Snowden's escape from Hong Kong, people were all over his ass the u.s government was pissing their pants trying to find out and seize his plane and like prevent him from getting to cuba or whatever and getting granted um asylum there and so what they did was they derailed and forced the bolivian presidential plane to land eva morales's plane for 16 hours 16 hours on a tarmac 
sitting there searching his plane, searching for Snowden, didn't find him, didn't find him. And I mean, can you just imagine Bolivia grounding Air Force One and forcing Obama to derail his precious plans for an entire day? I mean, just can't imagine what this country would do in reaction to that. <laughs> <laughs> and and then and then this same thing happened with uh with the Venezuelan president's plane. Did you hear about this? No. They we derailed the Venezuelan president's plane because it was going to fly over Puerto Rico. So we like forced it like elsewhere. So we like completely derailed its flight path because I guess we're so pissed off at Venezuela that we can't even allow the president of Venezuela to fly over US airspace. I had no idea that wasn't even a thing. Wow. So basically <laughs> All bets are off now. The United States realizes how much damage that Glenn Greenwald and Edward Snowden yeah. did to their relations with South America. Then now they're just like, fuck it, dude. Yeah. Like, we're back to, like, the fucking, like, Cuban Missile Crisis era. Now, yeah, like, dude. entire South America is, like, our enemy now. <laughs> like, yeah, dude. And, the, and, and they're not It's really sad how fucked up prisoners. the U.S. is. <laughs> it is just so destructive because it's like, wow, this, these relationships are so essential um, these countries are very crucial to have, like, their, their rising superpowers. You have the BRICS nations rising up, Brazil's getting really big, all the pink tide going on. Like, it's, it's a very important movement to be, like, working with and cooperating with. But instead, we've just become extremely arrogant, taking all these drastic measures to just insult, fucking insult and dehumanize the leaders of these countries. And uh, right after all this happened, like Maduro's plane, after Maduro's plane got derailed, Evo Morales said, you know what? I'm going to fucking sue Obama for crimes against humanity because this will not stand. You can't just derail presidential planes flying in the world because you're pissed. Like, this is outrageous. We're filing with the International Criminal Court or the International Court uh, for crimes against humanity. And he said, this, this is outrageous. It needs to stop. And then in light of the NSA leaks, you have the Brazilian president, which you just mentioned, do you, you know, she postponed her initial trip to the White House. And she was saying, this is outrageous. This is like a new era, era of colonization. Like we're being treated like we're slaves. I mean, it, it's such an outrageous statement. Yeah. Being and made. it's also really funny, too, how the mainstream media is ignoring these revelations about how much we're spying on other countries because it's like... I guess the American people don't give a fuck for the most part, but I mean, think of how insulting, offensive, and a violation that is to be spying on other countries. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. there are no, there's yeah. not even any constitutional protection for them. So, it, like, we don't even have to have fucking warrants or anything. It's just really sad to think it that, is like, really sad. We're, how much we are violating just these people, like, people's privacy across the entire world. Really, really tragic. It's a really good point. It's like, not only do we have no constitutional protection yeah. for our privacy, but like, think about the people of Brazil. No. And, like, and what it, the hell? And the fact that the Brazilian president reacted this way should send shockwaves to the rest of the world. Like, because she is having a genuine reaction. She's not scared. She is standing up to the United States as a, because this is morally reprehensible. It is extremely disrespectful. I mean, the fact that Obama hasn't even even attempted to do any kind of apology to her <laughs> or reconciliation over the fact that he's been spying on us for so long. I mean, what, do, what does he expect her to do? But I Robbie, mean, I, don't you get it? He told the UNGA that we're exceptional. We can do these things because we're exceptional. We're different. We're special. Man, this is going to... I th I really do think this has tipped world relations forever. Oh, absolutely. I, this uh, Glenn Greenwald fucking hit the fucking... I mean, this is it. Like, <laughs> these other nations, no matter how much they, you know, they kowtow and, and tow our line, you know, and, and are just our slaves, 
you know that these people are pissed off that they've been spied on. Yeah. I mean, any any reasonable person would be, especially in a person in a p- high position of political power. They they feel like they're already a powerful person who doesn't have to deal with that kind of shit, and then they find out America's been spying on them the whole time. I mean, how much of a violation is that? It's just I just can't get over just that. Like, let alone the average person. You know, I'm not saying that these people deserve extra special treatment, but imagine being one of them, being the president of a oh, yeah. of a South American country, and then finding out that. Your private emails have all been read? It's like the Cold War. It's I mean, shocking, I mean, dude. You go in the spy museum here in D.C., and even though it's run by the CIA, you still like get a sense of just how like paranoid people were back then. Like, all the government, mm-hmm. you know, like they had to like re-restore a whole area and section of Congress because they were convinced that like this clock was a spy machine by the Russians and just like the complete and utter distrust going on and this fostering of just paranoia about everything. And I just can't imagine... That feeling is just like proliferated times a million. It's like all over the world, there's just like so much paranoia thinking, wow, is the US spying on this phone call? Like, I can't imagine being the Brazilian president, like having even think about the fact that the US is like in my ear. I mean, it's just outrageous. And it's actually- one of the most crazy. I mean, to me, that is one of the most crazy th- revolutions that come out of this yeah. whole thing. I love that the craziest ones are like the latest ones. It's like, yeah, by the way, Israel now has access to all of your the same yeah. information that the NSA does. You're like, wow, really? And Brazil's actually making their own internet now, like a, a new, like a, something. They're basically like taking the measures to try to, you know, reinstate privacy in the country. Oh, it's wow. so nuts. And it's great that Russia took in Snowden for, as, uh, for asylum because now, like, while he's there protected by Russia, these stories can sort of go out, you know, without the distraction of like the manhunt to get him. Mm-hmm. Because that was really definitely overshadowing like the actual revelations through and now we're just getting the revelations and now edward Snowden is in like you know he's not and he doesn't have to worry about somehow like you know escaping on a plane or something like that at least right now temporarily but robbie don't you see how hypocritical it is for for snowden to seek asylum and be granted asylum in a big human rights abuser country you're right yeah and I love how all the people saying that are acting like they would self-sacrifice themselves um, <laughs> and want to spend the rest of their lives in jail with no human contact for revealing a, some sort of secret government program that they don't really give up too much of a fuck of to begin with. Right. Like They don't even, it's like, what are you guys even talking about? Like, you are not even that upset about this. So what, if you, you would sit in jail for something that's really not, that you don't even think is a big of a deal? It just does, it's just silly. I just, like re- I just read this really good op-ed because Obama, you know, has defended this, this whole NSA program by Spain, by saying, um, you know, no one's reading it. We're just collecting the metadata. Everyone, you know, we're not looking, we're not reading anything, we're not in your ear. Um, but this person wrote this really great analysis and kind of analogy of, of how this operates on like a personal level. Like, let's say Michelle Obama's diary that she found out that Obama had taken her personal diary, copied the entire thing, put it in a vault, and she found out and she was like, oh shit, like, why did you take it? Like, why did you copy my entire diary? And he's like, oh, no, don't worry, I'm not reading it. No one's reading your diary. We just have it, just in case later on we need something from it. It's like, but but who's going to see it? I mean, it's all my personal information. What do you, I don't care if you haven't read it yet. I mean, it's there. This is all like very personal things that I don't want to be exposed and shared. It's like, no, 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 you're missing the point. See, this isn't the discussion. The discussion isn't that. The yeah. discussion is just that we just have a copy of the data that your diary has. And it's like, well, not only you, but now Israel does too. And probably fucking Saudi Arabia and whatever the hell else US allies that have just 
U.S. government has felt the need to share. And I don't believe that it's just metadata. That doesn't make sense. No, 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 I believe no. it's everything. Well, they, they, okay, well, they've lied on several levels. Diane <laughs> Feinstein and the Intelligence Committee people said that it's, it's no different than, like, you being listed in the phone book. You know, well, we're just looking at, like, who you've, or, or she said, like, we're just looking at who you've called or something, which is bad enough, but metadata encompasses far more than your phone call, outgoing and incoming phone call records. It encompasses your locations, a map of your daily behavior, where you go during the day, what your daily activities are, what you like to eat, what your favorite foods are, what your favorite music is. I mean, all the, like the you know all those like scobbling services and stuff. I mean, that could be considered metadata. What movies you watch on YouTube that's cons- can be considered metadata. I mean, if if you think about it that way, you can develop an entire personality profile of someone in an instant with a computer based on metadata alone. If you had all of it mapped out, right. but not only that, they are also recording and storing, as you just said, all of our phone call data. When Obama says no one is listening to your telephone calls, okay. So maybe you're not listening to it and maybe they're not listening to everybody's telephone calls, but a computer is recording all of them and you can instantly call up any of them and listen to them if you wanted to. So that is really, it's a strange distinction to me. It is like someone who has sucked all the data off of their, you know, their girlfriend or wife's computer in case they think that, you know, they're cheating on them. But then like when their wife finds out and gets mad and say, you read all my like private emails and stuff, the person will be like, no, I just copied it all. I'm the, I wasn't listening or reading anything. I just, <laughs> I just copied all. Just in case. You know, in case I get suspicious at some point in the future, I just want to have it all so I can, in case I get... <laughs> Build you know, a case against it's you, just so, you in prison. <laughs> it just, really? You, you really want me to trust you to do that? So, like, I now I'm supposed to defer to your trust that, that, you're, that I just, based on your discretion, you're not going to listen to my phone calls. You see how odd that is? <laughs> it's just so yeah. fucking crazy. Yeah, it really <laughs> makes no sense at all. It makes no sense at all. <laughs> and you know the the it's kind of a testament to how dysfunctional this country is the fact that all these people have to be forced to live outside the united states to even do their job like glenn greenwald's literally just like forced out of the country i mean i know that he out of principle doesn't want to be here because he feels like he's treated as a second class citizen because he's gay but i just find it just so ridiculous that he you know he just has to live in brazil because he's he can't come here i mean look at his partner gets detained his laptop gets robbed and his partner, his like other partner, working partner, Linda Petraeus or whatever, has to be like in Berlin. It's like what? How? How ridiculous is that? That we have to get the truth about our country from Russia today, and we have to have like whistleblowers living in Berlin, which like used to be like, you know, yeah. it's just it's just such an Orwellian turn of events. <laughs> yeah, and then and then here we are like talking about how you know how awful russia's gay laws are and and how ecuador doesn't have um full press freedoms and stuff as if that's the issue that's going on it's like what the fuck dude it's like come on yeah like, and i wanted to actually say we don't about this they, russia gay thing too but keep going no it's just i just really makes me sad like for instance on facebook i saw a musician who whom i really respect um, who said that he's not sure if he wants to play a show in Russia or not because of the laws. Is it Should he boycott the show, the country, and say that's why he didn't play? And uh, I just think it's strange because it's like, you know, if you're that passionate, maybe if that's an issue that is solely very important to you, I can understand that. Right. If that is your main primary focus, 
If, and I do think a lot of it is is the pompous egotism that comes with being this sort of morally, quasi-morally superior nation. It's like, and, and that's where it comes from. It's like, even when you're not a citizen here, you still get infected a little bit with that idea that America is altruistic. That no matter how bad seem, things seem to be, we still don't, you know, give our journalists polonium uh, and, and things like that. Like, it's just... It's just strange. There's always something that'll yeah, and I think I, make us seem exceptional, like you were saying earlier. I was thinking, uh, what is that? You know, what what fosters this kind of uh, psychopathy and, and sociopathy in this country, and kind of like this exceptional mindset? And is it just the fact that we are children of the empire, that we live in the empire state, and we're kind of conditioned yeah, into absolutely? That know, is a hundred percent. It is, is really disturbing. It's like a mental disorder. Well, yeah, it's like I mean, you know, it's like um. It's it is completely what you're what you're describing. I mean, it's it's just a built-in superiority complex. Yeah, it's infected you know? the populace. It, no matter uh, how much you you know you think that you're like cultured and stuff, like it, it really it, is an infection. Yeah, and even other countries, you could talk about how fucked up they are, but I don't think very many of them have this notion that they are the best country in the world and their their society is superior. And should be looked at as an example for the rest of the world to lead in their footsteps. Let alone having their presidents out, outlandishly declare that yeah. at world forums. I mean, that, so, that's pretty extreme. It is. It is just really disgusting, and it and it's it is a part of the American condition, and it is among many liberals as well. Because then they always use that idea. Well, what are we supposed to do? Like we we can't let stand for this. We are morally superior to the rest of the world, and we should be able to morally um you know assert our morals that these <laughs> chemical weapons in syria are cannot stand and we need to invade will not stand man. for the human for because we care about human rights like we care about these people and we cannot let that stand that they are being killed i wanted to really quickly address russia because i realized that as the show's gaining more traction and as more people are watching i'm getting too continuous talking points lambasted toward me over and over again and just ad nauseum and one of them is pussy riot and i just wanted to say one thing yes it's terrible to jail activists and of course you know making fun of the church and making fun of putin does not give you the right to be in prison that's outrageous however um i do find it really odd how the west is obsessed with pussy riot um because I just saw this really interesting poll done in Russia and it shows that like literally over 90% of Russians not only have no sympathy for Pussy Riot, but like outright despise them. Like they don't give a flying fuck about Pussy Riot at all, which really begs the question, why is the West so obsessed with this kind of manufactured perceived notion of resistance and like revolution with these three musicians? Because, well, yeah, I I don't, I haven't seen that statistic of of how people feel about Pussy Riot in Russia, but I, I think the reason why so many, and I saw a lot of my mu- fellow musician, um, you know, colleagues, and and even in electronic music, a lot of people that n- don't normally talk about politics at all were all of a sudden outraged at Pussy Riot. And I think it's just because once you decide to be outraged about the United States treatment and of people and human rights and civil liberties, then you can't, like... If you're a caring person, you kind of have to keep it in the back of your mind all the time. It's not something that you could just like shut out of your mind mm-hmm. once you decide to believe that. So I think it's sort of like a lot of people are trying to hold these floodgates back, but they are still caring people. 
And they're sort of tokenistically channeling their passion and care through these sort of news media hyped things. And that's kind of, and that's, it's the same thing with the, the way these same people do with the four year election cycle. All of a sudden you'll see a lot of them start talking about how bad Romney is, um, how Obama's going to save a woman's right to choose. And then you're just like, where have you been this whole time? You know, this is a manufactured political storm to draw people like you into, and you're just and you're just going along with the waves. It's just you're to totally me, it just right. it just really is. It's kind of pathetic, and I'm. I mean, I hate to say that, and I do think Pussy Riot should not have gone to jail. Obviously, it was a really stupid thing, you know. Um, but it's just yeah, it is. It is kind of strange how that's where we focus our attention on. It's just like how a lot of liberals like to focus on uh, um, human rights abuses in Muslim countries. You know, it's like hmm, coincidentally you're now focusing on the countries that we are invading. Like, why is that? Because there's plenty of human rights abuses happening all over Africa, Indonesia, but. Nobody gives a fuck about those. Just somehow, coincidentally, all these Muslim countries now. Well, that you so care about. you know, it, it, you hit the point on the head when you said it's pathetic because what it really shows you is these people are just ingesting propaganda from the mainstream media. Because really, where else does that come from? Where else does that kind of undercurrent of Islamophobia and and, and demonization of these Middle Eastern countries and the horrendous human rights abuses, even though they're like very new, like in Saudi Arabia, for example. Well, that's warranted because we're allies with them, so it's important to call out their human rights abuses. But like in other countries, they're relatively newer, you know, on on a on a newer plane of evolution. They're not, um, they're just on a completely different political and uh, evolutionary timeline than us. So it's just really bizarre to kind of insert our like moral authoritarianism on these countries and like make these declarations just based on what the media is saying and it's manufactured too it's it is manufactured agitation propaganda and let me just throw that out there and here's the reason why i think that it's happening because think about it the united states government foresees that russia is gaining leverage over them in the sort of information war they have russia today a network airing on American television that is continuously undermining the false rhetoric the United States is putting out on a daily basis. Um, Putin is now intervening and actually making the U.S. look foolish in several different ways. He is taking Edward Snowden in for asylum. He is, um, you know, putting a stop to this like Syrian uh, conflict, or he's at least like putting the brakes on it. You know, so I think that the United States wants as badly. As, like wants this very badly they want to turn off liberalism to the idea that Ru- of russia like russia mm-hmm. being some sort of sort of um bastion for like liberal thought or like even russia today being a network that you can trust like to be uh, sort of on the side of liberalism because if you think about this russia will never appeal to people on the conservative sort of right-wing side of things maybe libertarian people mm-hmm. But not traditional conservatives or right-wing Republicans, just because of the Cold War era. It's com- you know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, they still call Putin a communist. I mean, I see that type of shit said on like Drudge Report linked stories. So, who do they have to turn off to Russia that is like politically aware that would actually make an impact? And it's liberal people. And I uh, think absolutely. That, and I think that the pussy riot thing and this anti-gay law, as horrible as they both are, undeniably horrible. They are injected into this American dialogue as a form of agitation propaganda to turn off sort of the liberal movement from even taking anything Russia says with, you know, more than a grain of salt. And it's working in waves. It is. And and the Russia Today Network is becoming 
very popular. It's gotten a lot of uh, headway in this country. It's vi- went viral, basically. It's used sort of the viral power of the internet to spread its message. And it's kind of unstoppable at this point. So the only way to stop it is to actually damage the nation's credibility itself. So really, what's the state of LGBT rights in this country? Because I'm American. I grew up in America. I've been doing this for 10 years. You and I have been rallying against the empire because we see it as a really big threat to global peace and security. And that's what I know. I mean, that's where I can elicit change. This is this is the country that I know. I just think it's really sad that people are getting trapped in this agitation propaganda to demonize Russia as an entire country. And and not to make any like excuses for the law. I mean, like it is it is obviously worse, a worse state for like LGBT people than Of course. There, but I mean the whole point is that it's a completely misplaced, strange and suspicious focus. It is so manufactured and i really do believe that the united states was sort of hedging on this for a while because remember obama made that announcement like a year and a half ago about how they're going to start like punishing and maybe even sanctioning nations that have like laws that discriminate against lgbt and like, <laughs> yeah. transgender people and we were saying oh this has to do it this is obviously for iran like right. this is this is a law basically saying like, okay, Iran, this is like a this is another like move on the chessboard. What are you going to do, kind of thing? But I mean, maybe it was for Russia too. Maybe like the United States has sort of seen this coming, and they have been Whoa. trying to. And think about this too. Here's another interesting spin on it: Paul Wolfowitz, Dick Cheney, several neoconservatives all around the same time started supporting gay marriage here after Obama made that announcement. What does that tell you? Why would they do that? That there's a there's always a rhyme and a reason behind why the neoconservatives all start saying something at the same time. They want to they want to put these other nations on like the adversarial side, good versus evil. Just like just like they always have been throughout the history of neoconservatism. Mm-hmm. Holy and, shit. Yeah. Wow, I mean, Robbie. I just realized this because I do think that the neoconservatives are are behind this also. I, I, I hate to say it, but like, honestly, every single thing that sort of any form of agitation propaganda that starts coming in through the media, it's it's based on like the neoconservative principle of like grand mythic good versus evil battles. I mean, even the Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman thing t- took on that flavor. You know, a lot of the racial race baiting stories do. It's just it's the style of myth building and well, it's I don't to counter. Know. It's it is to counter things like RT and to counter Russia's standing in the world right now. Absolutely, because look what RT is doing. They are not like Putin doesn't go on RT and sit at a podium and like talk to the talk to Americans about how fucked up America is. It's completely independent from like the government influence. You do not get marching orders from people <laughs> in the Russian government. They have simply seen your value as like a you know an, a journalist and a, like a commentator and an editorialist to like you know have you have your own platform and I'm, I'm sure they get some benefit out of that maybe but they don't you know it's just it's interesting to think that that's how the u.s is doing it too it's like the u.s government obama's not going out saying that you know russia's um, really has horrible laws towards gays and they're going to be punished but Somebody is floating these stories out there to start the current sort of going against Russia, and it's worked very well. Oh, my God. And you just brought up a really interesting point, which is that it might once again, the corporate media might as well be state run, because what is the intention of that? 
You know what I mean? It's it's to keep America standing in the world to demonize this hegemonic force that's like encroaching on America's values and like kind of undermining its rhetoric and conventional wisdom. And so when you have a corporate media parroting these things that that basically just promote American ex- exceptionalism, it might as well be an arm of the government. And I just it's just there's no difference to me. Um, but you're right. RT gives me complete uh, editorial control over everything I do. I have no one reading my scripts or looking over anything I do. Here's another thing I just want to interject. Yeah. Like, you know, people say that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're spreading propaganda on behalf of the Russian government. Well, like, look at it this way. People on any major network that's owned by a corporation that, and, and including that gets sponsors from other companies, spawn like commercials. Russia Day does not have commercials. So that, even just on a fundamental level, remove some of their beholden, like they Russia today is not beholden to like not talk badly about certain companies or brands because they don't get commercial money like for sponsors. Oh yeah. That alone. Like I, that's what so I keep like, telling people. I'm like, I have the ability on, to crit- criticize corporations. Yeah. On, on like MSNBC, when will you ever see somebody doing a story segment about how like, um, you know, Pfizer just released like a drug that killed a bunch of people. Like, well, while they run Viagra ads on the uh, yeah, in, and on do these same people harassing me go to Rachel Maddow and say, "Why aren't you covering Nestle? Why aren't you covering Monsanto?" Like, it's just so ridiculous. You'll never see these anchors cover real corporations and and corruption, which is really what's running this country. Is this corporatocracy that's overtaken our U.S. political system? Uh, <laughs> um. I was going to say that what I, how I think you should deal with this kind of criticism, because I believe that it is at its core, it's sort of manufactured dissent, like yeah. against trying to, to create a wedge against Russia. I just think I, I would look at it that way that eventually, I mean, if you get popular enough and your show gets popular enough where you're actually a formidable opponent to the U S government narrative, then they will, or someone will, start to try to combat your narrative right it's gonna happen it always happens with people who have who make any sort of impact so like i would just be very suspicious to take anything like that at face value because that's the form in which it will come if right. it does come and because i hate to be that, like, act they know, like a psychic they know that, that will no because they know that that irks me because they know that i care about human rights and stuff so when they well, keep yeah. like lambasting you with that same thing like you're ignoring this not nah, nah. it's like do an ad hominological fallacy and attack the russian government to to not have to address any of abby's content on her show but it's just not even at this point it's not even worth like reacting to because it's such an obvious ploy it I is think. and now they have all these trolls doing marching orders for that and it's just it's all just lapping lapping it up lapping mm-hmm. it up and now even infowars is now for a while, actually, sort of when you sort of started to criticize Alex Jones, there was a little bit of a, a era of Infowars for maybe like three or four months. So they were really going after Russia, too. Ooh. And then now it's sort of like back to like anti-US again because of the, the Snowden thing. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. It is. It is. There's a libertarian. I think there are some sort of libertarian Koch brother elements in there, too, that are spreading some of that. They're playing games with with the Russia thing, and I fucking I I can only speculate because I don't know what happens in these like backroom spin sessions, you know. You see these global trends occurring, and then you see kind of this flooding of propaganda, and it's just kind of relentless and and mimics each other. I mean, it's just this like you just said, it's spinning the same yarn. It's like a tiled yeah. old yarn. I'm like, I'm well, God. You this could again? always 
it's not like we're not saying you and I are somehow like able to like see through, like put on the on like the glasses and they live and all of a sudden we're, we, you and I can see all this propaganda like all clear. It's all you have to do is just know when there's stuff being floated out there and it's being repeated and parroted and it's designed to cause an emotional reaction in you and it's framed in that way, then examine it because you're tr- they someone is trying to manipulate your thought. Right. And when I say someone, I don't mean like some sort of you know new world order conspiracy i just mean like someone some somebody with a lot of money is <laughs> <laughs> trying to manipulate your thoughts someone with power and money period yeah for whatever goal end goal i mean they have some sort of goal in mind for that you know to don't play up, into that shit to sum up this episode i just wanted to say this sad little new yorker cartoon of these people at a little campfire it's like post-apocalyptic like little people and the guy is just telling his kids, you know, telling them old fables, trying to keep the culture alive. He's just like, you know what? Yes, kids, the planet did get destroyed. For a beautiful moment in time, we created a lot of value for shareholders. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's just like summing up like at the, the peak. We're just like at this yeah. like point of no return kind of thing. I mean, we aren't. I think that we still obviously have the ability to turn it around in a massive way. But it just is funny, kind of this historical... The historical significance of the time that we're living in where you know we are presented with that great challenge that great philosophical challenge like will we turn it around or will the planet get destroyed because really we we do have the option still but it does look like that's going to be kind of one way or the other and we'll see where it takes us but um you know we got to keep waking people up i have faith in humanity i have faith in uh and people and um empathy and it's just about you know shedding yourself of these fucking divisive labels and and opening up yourself and expressing yourself and loving loving each other because we can't let fear cripple us into inaction well said good good to end the episode on a good, positive good note. end good end everyone yeah. check it out we have a ton of media roots radio episodes up on mediaroots.org we're also taking content submissions we're getting a lot of great content contributors right now i'd be happy to set you up with a login so you can submit it will just contact us at info at mediaroots.org check out my brother's uh documentary american bis part one is up on media roots youtube page um record label records is his uh, record label. He's coming out with a really great album. Um, check out my art website, abbymartin.org and check out mediaroots.org and Breaking the Set. Uh, we store archive every single episode we've done, every interview breakdown and show on the YouTube channel and then put the best things that we've done on Media Roots as well. Please donate to Media Roots. Um, you know, we still need grassroots contributions to keep citizen journalism alive and Hopefully I can end up paying um, some of these excellent contributors and, and have a self-sustaining operation eventually, you know, beyond RT, wherever it takes me. I'll keep Meteorites alive till the day I die. So um, support the project. Thanks for listening, everyone. You guys rock. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good day or evening or morning, wherever you are. Yeah.